This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. In this episode, South Africa's Constitutional Court ejects Sean the Sheep. Well, just three years into a proposed 10-year term, South Africa today ridded itself of the deeply tainted head of the National Prosecuting Authority. It ruled that NPA Chief Sean Abrahams, who was catapulted four levels from a legal version of the backbenchers to the top job, should never have been appointed in the first place. His elevation came after former President Jacob Zuma paid off the previous NPA head with a 17 million rand golden handshake. According to the public prosecutor Glynis Breitenbach in her book Rule of Law, the appointment of Abrahams was like taking a child who has learned to ride a bicycle with training wheels and giving him a jumbo jet and then expecting everything to be okay. Shortly after Abrams took office, the NPA launched a series of unsuccessful actions against Breitenbach, former finance minister Pravin Gordon, and a number of other anti-corruption activists. Among those most affected by Abrahams' regime was Paul O'Sullivan of Forensics for Justice. O'Sullivan describes the former NPA National Director and his appointees as criminals with gowns, and he is determined to see them behind bars. Watershed decision this morning, Paul. Yeah, absolutely, Alec. Um, and I think I said a few weeks ago, it's my turn now, and this, this reinforces that. I think the tide has turned. Um, over the last six weeks, we've had one good court decision after another. You know, the appeal court ruled uh, in, in favour of uh, APID that these dirty cops in the northwest could not continue um, to to investigate APID officers and these counter-investigations they were running. That effectively neutralizes them. Uh, I think in the week following that, the Director of Public Prosecutions in Gauteng South, which is Andrew Chauke, uh, Advocate Andrew Chauke, one of the few prosecutors that's been nobbled uh, the subtoids, he made the decision to prosecute the Northwest team for various offences relating to kidnapping and torture. And um, now we've had this momentous decision which effectively sterilises the Zupta-controlled National Prosecuting Authority and should open the floodgates now for prosecutions against the subtoids that have been identified in the multiple dockets that have been opened by Forensics for Justice and Corruption Watch and ARTA and the other civil service organizations or civil uh, organizations that have taken steps to expose corruption. So the, the, the tide has absolutely turned. You know, it's only a year and a half ago that Sean Abrahams was as cocky as a, I don't know how best to describe him, but when he announced that they were going to prosecute Pravin Gordon, and then they had to recant a week or two weeks later, and he blamed it all on Tory Pretorius. Well, Tory Pretorius should take some of the blame. I believe he should go with Sean Abrahams. In fact, I sent Sean Abrahams an email this morning, and I said, listen, take your accomplices with you. We know who they are, and the National Prosecuting Authority will now come under new leadership, and hopefully that new leadership will quickly uh, identify uh, who the accomplices of Sean Abrahams were. If he needs any 
assistance in that regard. We've got stacks of evidence, and then we can get a cleaned-up NPA. And with a cleaned-up NPA and a cleaned-up Hawks and a cleaned-up police, we should be able to start bringing these people into the criminal justice system. I'm talking about the the Zuptoys, the Guptas, Lucky Montana, um, the, the, the ESCOM uh, thieves, all these people, the Transnet thieves, some of whom are common. Um, and let's see some really good quality prosecutions. Is it likely that these prosecutions could then be extended into the international arena, given that a number of multinationals were also involved? Well, you, you'd be surprised to know. Um, in fact, um, some of the crimes being committed in South Africa have a transnational element to them. Um, and you'll be surprised to know that we've actually been actively engaging uh, with authorities in different parts of the world in respect of the money laundering by those organizations. And I'm really talking about mostly Gupta-controlled uh, organizations. So what we've done is we've, we've gone out of our way to uh, get uh, the international community in terms of law enforcement uh, to look at the money laundering of those entities. Uh, you'll be surprised even a little place like Gibraltar they have a financial services entity there which investigates money laundering. The same with Malta, the same with Dubai. So we've, we've flagged all of these organizations and we've asked them to look at the money laundering that's been going on because every time these, these cooks want to do something, they have to move money from one part of the world to another. And if, if that movement is the proceeds of crime, then it's money laundering. Yeah. Uh, just from a broader perspective, because South Africans have seen the crime rate escalating. They've seen uh, cash and transit heists uh, going through the roof as well. Is all of this related? Well, I, you know, the problem is when you've got a, when you've got a, a, a owned and controlled, a politically owned and controlled National Prosecuting Authority police and uh, hawks, um, you end up with people sitting at the top that are more interested in protecting criminals than they are in seeing criminals being prosecuted. And the time and energy they spent, for example, chasing me, you know, I was arrested on multiple charges and trumped up charges. My offices were raided so many times I've just lost count of it. My staff of mine were kidnapped. Uh, now, all the resources they put into trying to silence me, if those resources were utilized in uncovering and dealing with cash-in-transit robbers, there'd be a few more cash-in-transit robbers in prison and a few less cash-in-transit robberies. But the priorities of the subtoid regime were such that um, the energy was expended instead on dealing with people like myself, Robert McBride, Pravin Gordon, Anwar Dramat, Shadrach Sabir, all those people that were being hounded, there were troops and troops of police officials and prosecutors following us all around and persecuting us and dragging us into, into court on trumped-up charges. All that has now come to a halt, and the tide is now turning the other way. Mm. But is there not a danger that the focus is going to be on, on those people, in other words, putting the corrupt people behind bars rather than where it should be? be as far as the general population is concerned, which is that there's uh, there are lots, the criminal element seems to be having a pretty free run at the moment. I suppose how, well, the question is, how do you get the balance between the two? Well, yeah, you have to get a balance. Unfortunately, I did an exercise the other day. I sat down, worked out, and I listed all the suspects, and I'm talking about all the subtoid suspects, 
and all the people connected to them. And I listed all the offences that, um, you know, they've alleged to have been committed. In some cases, we have prima facie evidence in that respect. And I came to the conclusion, having worked it out, that if we had three separate teams of prosecutors and hawks involved in bringing them all to justice, it would take 17 years. Now, if it's going to take 17 years to bring them all to justice for everything they've done, my suggestion, which is going to be made to the new National Director of Public Prosecutions, it's going to be to go for the jugular. In other words, to select specimen charges which are clean and we can deal with each and every one of them on one or two specimen charges just to get them before the courts and just to get them into prison. Mm. But like Al Capone on Texas. Well, yeah, yeah. And I mean, <laughs> that's another area we could look at is, a, is the revenue because um, these people didn't only neutralize uh, the police service and the National Prosecuting Authority, they also neutralized um, the, the, the tax collector, you know, the revenue authority, by uh, disposing of all the people that were investigating Zuma and all of his cronies. It's an interesting uh, statement that was issued this morning by uh, Sipa Puchana, who's been uh, very strong in the active in his activistic activist role, the chairman of Angler Gold, and he said that the process of appointing a new head of the National Prosecuting Authority or the new National Director to replace Sean Abrams needs to be transparent, needs to be done in the in the open forum, which I I suppose sends a signal that that there is a worry that one political appointee and it is a political appointment uh, this this role might be just replaced by another one yeah i must admit i tend to agree um you know the level of trust that we had in zuma was shocking um you know the general public had no trust in him whatsoever um and when you hear people like sean abraham saying how disappointed he was he's lucky He's had four years of a very good run, illegal appointment and illegal income. He's, he's lucky. We've yet to prosecute him, which we will be doing, whether it's privately or through the new NDPP. Uh, he's got to be prosecuted. But the bottom line is, when you've got political appointments, you end up with a Zoomified public protector, police, hawks, NPA. And I suppose um, the, the counterpart is now true that you will end up with a Ramaphosa-styled um, public protector, Hawks, police and NPA. Um, at the end of the day, I'd certainly prefer the Ramaphosa version than the Zuma version, but um, these are such important appointments and they've been so tainted by political appointments in the past that I think now the time is right to actually bring around uh, some sort of changes in law to make sure that the Appointments are indeed transparent. Mm. It was something that the ANC fought for uh, very strongly at uh, CODESA to, to, to give it the ability to appoint politically uh, the right person. And surely those are questions now that, that, that we've shown hasn't really worked that well. But, Paul, if you were to have a vote on who should take over uh, from Abrahams, who would it be? Um, well, if, if one goes from the existing pool of incumbents, I'm talking about, I mean, the, the, the natural process is that a national director would be previously 
a director of public prosecutions. And of all the directors of public prosecutions out there at the moment, I fancy Andrew Charkey. He's, he's not been shy to step forward. Mm, he's made some fairly uh, harsh decisions, which has, I'm sure, not gone down too well with Sean Abrahams. Um, but he, he's, he's been his own man and he's done what he had to do. So uh, hopefully Sean will at least appoint him as an acting uh, national director. Not Sean. Uh, sorry, not, not Sean. Uh, Cyril will appoint him at least as an acting national director, alternatively to consider him for the permanent position. He's senior enough. He's been at the game long enough. And there's no holy cows with him. Um, I've heard people talking about appointing Glynis Brighton back. The problem is... <clears throat> Although she's a very good prosecutor, she's now politically tainted because it's obvious what, you know, what her political uh, leanings are. So um, I think that could be problematic to appoint someone like that. Somebody talked about appointing Rusty Piccoli. Well, a lot of water has gone under the bridge since then. I don't know. I think we need younger blood, fresh blood. I fancy someone like Andrew Charkey. Um, there are numerous other good quality prosecutors out there, but most of the, the directors of public prosecution, they've been got at. Um, and that's why you've got in Gauteng North, you've got an acting director. That's why in the PCLU, you've got an acting director, which is Tory Pretorius. Now, when you've got acting directors for several years, it shows me that they've kept them as acting directors because they want to control them. And the best way to control them is keep them as an acting director. And the minute they don't do things the way you want them to, you can get rid of them and appoint somebody else. Mm. Paul, what would the um, the honest cops? You always talk, you, you've talked a lot about criminals with badges. In other words, the dirty cops. But what are the honest cops thinking after today's constitutional court uh, decision? Well, they're delighted. I mean, I've spoken to a few generals on on the phone this morning. Despite the fact that I'm in the UK, they've called me, um, and we've had a discussion, and they're delighted. It's it, it's demonstrated that. You know, the system might have looked broken, but it's capable of being fixed, and that's what's happening. I'm adamant. People said to me last year, you know, I could have packed my bags and left the country with all these fake criminal charges against me and all the things they were doing to me. I decided to stay and fight it out. And I'm adamant that South Africa is still the best place in the world, and when we fix these problems, which we are doing, um, it will without doubt be the best place of the world and we'll feel it. It'll be tangible. Mm. Well, it was nice to see the RAND reacting very uh, positively to the Constitutional Court judgment. It went from, it had got to uh, 15 RAND 30 against the US dollar. And it's, it's horrible to think that uh, when Ramaphosa, just after he was elected uh, president, it was 1180. So it's, it's really been caned, also hurt by emerging markets. But in the wake of the NP of the Constitutional Court judgment, it's come all the way back to 1450. So you're not the only one who sees this as a watershed uh, development, Paul. Yeah, and I think we're going to see some more positive news in the in the in the future as well. Um, on that Ramaphosa front, I'm, I, I I've been saying for over a year now that it would have been very simple process. Um, for not over a year, sorry, for, since the beginning of the year, it would have been a very simple process for Cyril to just suspend him pending the outcome of a, an inquiry to um, consider his fitness to hold office. And I'm just surprised he didn't go that route. I made the point in March this year that every day that man 
was in office was a day too long. And that six months more we've had of that man in office that we just didn't need him. So the damage that he's done has been shocking. And it's going to take this country many years to recover from the damage that people like Sean Abrahams, Tory Pretorius, George Beloy, these dirty uh, chief of police and head of Hawks, the damage they've done to our country is going to take years. And I just hope that by the time we start re- repairing the country, we can send them off to prison where they belong. And your hit list, uh, is Jiba on there as well? Absolutely, Jiba. You know, if you go back to our website, you can see the, the docket there. If it's not there, we'll put it up. We opened a docket against Jiba in 2012. It's now 2018. That was six years ago. We opened a docket against Jiba, um, Mwebi, uh, a number of other, Mgluli, and a number of other officials in the Hawks and the NPA. And curiously, pretty much everybody we named in that, you know, they've all come under attention since then. Uh, so, yeah, Jiba, I don't think Jiba will survive. She's got to undergo a, a, an inquiry to consider a fitness to hold office. It's, in my opinion, untenable that she can be the Deputy National Director of Public Prosecutions. She, she needs to be gone uh, very, very quickly. So she certainly isn't somebody who would then automatically move up to the next level. Good Lord, no. She had an opportunity. She was acting national director at one stage. And, I mean, the the, the damage that she did, it's, it's, it's just unbelievable. You know, uh, my concern is not the people they decide to prosecute, although that's also a concern when it concerns people like myself and, and, and Dramat and McBride and Gordon. My concern is the people that they take decisions not to prosecute because they're criminals. And when you've got criminals with gowns and criminals with badges making decisions not to prosecute people, you're actually saying that the rule of law doesn't exist in South Africa. Well, hopefully we get rid of this crew now and we can demonstrate to the world that there is a rule of law in South Africa. A watershed indeed it has been for South Africa and its fight against corruption. That was Forensics for Justice's Paula Sullivan. And this has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.